This is The One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. This is the first episode of Season 3, and in this episode I welcome on Dr. Angela Cortell, a naturopathic physician based in Oregon and the best-selling author of Younger Joints Today. She knows her stuff when it comes to talking about degenerative joint disease and how to address this condition through a root cause approach. We're going to speak about her seven-step approach to addressing degenerative joint disease. Some people know degenerative joint disease as osteoarthritis. We're going to go into the inner world of how to treat this from a multidisciplinary approach, including diet, nutrition, hormones, and regenerative therapies. So without further ado, I welcome you to this next episode of the One Thing Podcast with Dr. Angela Cortell. Dr. Cortal, welcome to the One Thing Podcast. It's great to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, we're delighted to have you here and um, get to learn from an expert in joint pain. And uh, I'm really excited to go through and hear about your book and some of the, the things that you've learned over the years about joint pain. Um, I'd love to start this conversation hearing a little bit about your background related to joint pain and osteoarthritis and and hear a little bit about your mentors that uh, influenced you into getting into this space. Sure. So I guess the story starts with, uh, with, with me as many coming to the naturopathic uh, field, we have our own various medical histories and, uh, and mine was a skiing accident that uh, went from a surgery to many years, decade plus of just not healing from that very well and sort of putting myself back together physically using the tools of naturopathic medicine and discovering regenerative injection therapies towards the end of my schooling early on in my career and then just really uh, studied under as literally, I think as, as many doctors as I could find, as many organizations and professional groups who are doing uh, trainings. And so I was uh, learning with doctors locally, but for the most part, flying around the country and to Canada and Mexico and just learning under whoever I could. And um, and I'm still a, a part of uh, a few of those professional organizations that have impacted me uh, really significantly as far as my, my practice and what I'm bringing to my patients. And uh, one, one doctor in particular that, that really comes to mind when I was just very first learning all of this and, and we're so just wide-eyed and, and new and eager to, to, to any new modality that we're learning 
And uh, Dr. Mike Cronin in Scottsdale let me come and study under him for a day. And it was just eye-opening. I, I had, of course, uh, through our training, been in different offices, uh, watching other doctors with, with their patients. Um, but, but just kind of the, the degree of how he was able to help his patients who were, frankly, immobile and getting them mobile again and seeing all of these uh, checkups with patients who had walkers and canes and now we're out golfing because it's Scottsdale, so everyone golfs. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and just kind of seeing that um, and how he interacted with patients and treated patients uh, made, a, made a huge impact on me early on. Okay. And uh, so was, was the path that the basics weren't working for you as well? Um, did you have to kind of search for um, more advanced answers in, in kind of your, your, your injuries? Yeah, I would, I would say that um, I, I describe myself as a perfectly compliant patient, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a little bit of doctor lingo, but that, that I, I did what I was asked to do and the surgery did what it was supposed to do, which is repair a ligament in my, in my knee, the ACL ligament was torn. Um, and then I just felt as the weeks and months and eventually years went on, that uh, that I was kind of at the end of the line, like the stuff that was supposed to be working didn't work. The um, I I went through the the physical therapy and and still had a lot of pain and weakness and instability. Um, the the medications either didn't help or caused so much so many side effects that I that I chose that that I really couldn't use them. Um, so yeah, I just kind of felt like I had gotten stuck being being a good patient and still and still being really um, just re- really not functional physically. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Thank you for explaining that. Um, so let's zoom into your kind of your focus area, like in, like anatomically, can you kind of zoom in to the different things and parts of the body that you think about on a daily basis? Like, you know, we're talking about joint pain, but what what if we were to unpack all the anatomical structures you know, maybe just like the the big ones that you think about. Um, what what would what, what are we talking about here? Sure. So I so I tell my patients that I'm going to be really closely evaluating their connective tissue, and they probably look at me a little bit weird. <laughs> Don't really know what I'm saying, but I say mm-hmm. I'm going to look at your joints and and your joint capsules and your ligaments and your tendons because these have maybe never been looked at to see if they're uh, the source of pain. So I would say. That's that's a very strong angle of mine, um, but but the other piece that is that is sometimes missing is that within the context of the whole body. Like yes, we're looking at connective tissue, but also what generally could be impacting the the healing and the recovery of of that connective tissue. So these are other influences. Um, so for example, what would what are some of those other influences on joint health? Uh, there, there, there's many of them and, and some of the, the big topics are someone's nutrition, what they are or aren't eating on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, hormones, hormones are something that I find that's really important. And I'm a, and I'm a big cheerleader for this musculoskeletal hormone connection because I really just see those, uh, those dots sometimes not always connected or, or frankly, just patients told, well, that's, that's not, um, that, that, that has nothing to do with it. And so some of the hormones specifically are insulin, thyroid, estrogen, testosterone. Those are some of the big ones. 
Um, and then, and then beyond that, kind of just a general assessment: how how are their joints moving? How are they moving? And 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 then and then I get into more of what we could call like the the, the fine tuning, like what are they taking supplementation wise? What what might help there? Um, and and I just really want to cover all of those foundations before we get into the kind of like add adding adding on the the icing on the on the cake. Uh, so to speak, but really kind of starting starting with someone's overall health first before we jump into what should they be doing supplementation or injection wise. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, like traditionally, you know, uh, joint pain was looked at solely through an orthopedic lens, you know, like you take an image of the, the joint and describe what structures might be damaged or need repair, and then you fix that. Um, versus more of a functional model, you know, which is like all the different influences upstream, downstream. Um, I imagine, you know, what you're, you're, you're more of a functional orthopedic approach, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say probably where, where those differences stem from is a difference in goals. Um, for, uh, in a lot of medical practices, the goal is just to get the patient, stop complaining about the pain. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's our goal. However we meet that, uh, we're good. So, so if the ibuprofen gets them to stop complaining or some prescription pharmaceutical gets them to stop complaining, then we're good versus, uh, I see patients often when that approach isn't working or they're just not happy with it or side effects or something. And they're looking for like, what else is there? And, and my approach is really just a completely different goal, which is we want to find, find what's going on, what's causing the pain and see if we can get that to actually heal, to, to, to get us yeah. to change the trajectory, not just continue on the same trajectory with, with the ibuprofen indefinitely. Yeah. 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 And in all fairness too, um, there's really great functional orthopedic approaches where they're also looking at, you know, if you have say knee pain, they're looking at the entire kinetic chain, looking mm-hmm. at the hip and looking at the spine and not just zooming in on the knee when someone has knee pain. So, you know, I imagine this, this field has really just come very far lately. Um, is that fair to say? Yeah. And, and I would say that most, most people out there with chronic joint pain need a, um, a multidisciplinary approach, or at least would benefit from, from looking into that. Um, because if someone is looking at their joints and ligaments and tendons, and, and they're also getting their hormones assessed, then, then we probably need yet someone else to look at the whole biomechanical piece to, to see how they're moving, to see how, if we're getting someone from inactivity to exercise, how they can do that best, best for them. We're probably going to run out of time if we're using one, one person to, to do everything there. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so when we're talking about joint pain, what conditions like for people who are listening to this, both providers and, and people who are dealing with health problems, you know, um, what, what conditions are we referring to specifically with joint pain? Sure. I would, I would say I um, generally w- would think about three major categories. And one of those is osteoarthritis, uh, otherwise known as degenerative joint disease. And that is something where it's sort of slowly evolving over time. People will say, oh, it's just due to wear and tear. Uh, that's not necessarily my view, as I've already implied with, with looking at larger forces. 
but but that's one of the most common ones. About a quarter of the adults in the U.S. Um, have or will get a diagnosis of osteoarthritis uh, w- within this year. So so that's very common. Um, an- another category I would say is that um, it may have resulted from a past injury, uh, sports injury, car accident. Um, I, I see a lot of patients living in a rural area who are also rural people and falling off of horses and ladders <laughs> happens way more commonly than I, than I thought in my personal mm-hmm. life. So, so some sort of injury. And then, um, and then another really broad category that isn't as applicable, but, but should be mentioned is more of an autoimmune or, um, or some sort of an infection or so, so there's various other reasons for, for joint pain that, um, stem from a reason that's other than just purely within the, the, the musculoskeletal system, the, the, the joints and ligaments and, and tendons, so to speak. Okay. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's, that's really interesting. So one of the things that you mentioned was like an old injury. So in that case, um, the tendon or the ligament might've repaired faulty. Is that the case? Like if someone has, you know, say like an old ACL injury or an old um, meniscus injury, and maybe um, they got through the initial part of that or the initial surgery, and then it still is nagging. Yeah, I would I would say there's a handful of reasons why, like specifically looking down on a cellular level, why that injury might still be nagging. Um, one is is just the 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 healing did not happen completely. And we can think of that like maybe a micro tearing that just really didn't knit back together um, or, or faulty healing, as you mentioned. So when something is torn and, and our body uh, heals that back up, there's more uh, scar tissue, more collagen fibers that are integrated into that. And um, how our parts are made, so to speak, is that the collagen fibers are more all going in one grain, like a grain of, of wood. Um, and then when those, those tears and repairs happen, then the collagen fibers are laid down a little bit more of a haphazard manner, kind of going everywhere. And that, and that isn't as strong. That can also um, create adhesion. So, um, so kind of anchoring of uh, skin or nerves or other, other um, structures nearby and kind of making a whole knot mess <laughs> of, of the area. And, um, and also, and you mentioned with the, the ACL, so pretty much any sort of uh, ligament and also joint capsule can be more lax, can have more um, stretch and, and more, uh, more weakness to that, that joint or ligament in a way that we don't want. And I explained to patients, and this is sort of a cartoony way, but it kind of sticks in your mind, is that, uh, that healthy ligaments are like a new fresh rubber band and they have a lot of elasticity to it. Mm-hmm. And if, and if that joint or that ligament is more lax, it's like an old crunchy rubber band. You pull it out and it really just does not snap back as well. Yeah. 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 You know, and it also reminds me that like in the old days of injury management, you know, we all were taught the whole rice model, the rest, ice, compression, elevation, and you know, that, might have done well to prevent certain aspects of the recovery uh, or to help certain aspects of the recovery. But it seems like that model is being challenged and so that people are more active earlier in the repair process so that, like you said, some of that 
connective tissue doesn't uh, heal um, improperly. Is that fair to say? The- yeah, yeah. And I've heard the the, the rice is moving to meat. <laughs> meat, okay. Meat, meat, the old, the old acronym rice, the new acronym meat, and that is, um, oh gosh, uh, movement, uh, exercise. Sorry, I off the top of my head, it's basically the opposite where it's saying like get things moving. The T is therapeutics, like getting a chiropractor or a PT or someone to actually kind of get in there and and, and assess um, if they need some myofascial release or some sort of work on on cool. adhesions and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. so we're going from yeah, rice to meat. <laughs> All right, I'll put that uh, link into our notes. Uh, it'll be be interesting you know another useful term <laughs> for us to remember <laughs> so um well that yeah that's i think that's helpful and uh, a lot of people seem you know under the proper guidance seem to do better with that newer model um so well um in we've already talked about this um a little bit but can you you can can you talk about um you know, different things that you see that might lead someone to getting osteoarthritis sooner or people who, you know, are more risk for getting really severe osteoarthritis? Sure. I would, I would say there's the, the classic risk factors that you can find in literally any medical text on the subject. And so a few of those are age. We just know as people are going through their decades of life, they're at increased risk for having osteoarthritis. Uh, women are slightly at increased risk compared to men, uh, depending on your type of work or hobby, or basically what I'm getting at is how you move your body physically. If there's any sort of particular strain or repetitive motion, um, if someone has a job that they're working overhead on cars or ducks or something like that, then they're at increased risk for osteoarthritis of their shoulders. Um, uh, those who are uh, used tobacco are at increased risk. Um, and then I would say jumping off from that is all the other risk factors that I wish <laughs> were in the in the more typical mm. textbooks that I, that I that we see in research and I see clinically as related and, and as uh, very important but are but are just overlooked. And so so a few of those that I uh, just briefly touched on earlier. so, uh, nutritional deficiencies can put someone at increased risk, hormonal deficiencies. And so specifically, we're talking about uh, with hormonal deficiencies, uh, thyroid and estrogen and testosterone, and um, and then also blood sugar slash insulin dysregulation. So those with prediabetes or diabetes, or, or just generally um, metabolic syndrome. So someone doesn't have to have a diagnosis of diabetes, but may have another metabolic marker. Uh, all of those people are also at increased risk for, for osteoporosis. Okay. So if we want to dance into our 80s, we need to take this stuff seriously. <laughs> Get it dialed in now <laughs> so you can be even more active <laughs> in, in the years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing, like, you know, to have the, the foresight of knowing this and kind of constructing, trying to construct your life like 10 years in advance, you know, it's okay. I'm 40 now, or I'm 50 now. Like, what do I want to be doing when I'm 60 and get to work on it? You know, it's, these are things that you can't just all of a sudden turn around on a dime and change. You have to, you have to, 
work the farm, as they say. Yeah, again, it's it's all about the goals. Uh, I remember when I was joining a weightlifting gym now about five years ago, and 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 so they asked me what my goal is, and most people are lose weight or get really big, and and I said not be my grandma, <laughs> which to be honest, it's it's because I see I see a few generations in in the future, and I see frailty and and pathologic fractures and those things as a potential path. And I, and I don't want to go there. I, I, w- I want to be strong and mobile and capable in the decades to come. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. These, these are like pain points, right? When for like emotionally, when someone you loved one, a loved one you've seen, you know, go through something and you've seen like 20 different prescription bottles out on the table and you just, you, you know, you, you, it can make someone feel extremely motivated not to have that be their path. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have um, a seven step plan that you talk about in your, in your recent book. Uh, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about your book, first of all, and then um, just if you could help us understand some aspects of the seven step plan. Certainly. Yes. Uh, so, so my book, Younger Joints Today, is really my culmination of work with my patients, my, my framework, my thinking process of what do I go through to assess someone who has chronic joint pain and feels stuck, feels out of options, feels they don't like the options. Uh, maybe they're told um, you, you should be better by now, which is something I heard as a patient, or you uh, you're not bad enough, come back in 10 years when it gets worse, or, or you're not a surgical candidate at all. There, there's, there's nothing we can do for you. Um, besides kind of put you back through the ibuprofen and physical therapy rounds over and over again. Um, so it's something I wish that I had, <laughs> uh, that, that, that it existed back uh, 15 years ago when I was trying to figure out what to do for myself. And, and is also something um, just just to share with everybody sort of what what my what my approach is to um, to addressing patients who are in these situations. And so so some of the some of these we've um, mentioned uh, very briefly, but but to kind of go through it. So number one is to really figure out what's going on. Not every person with knee pain and even if they have a diagnosis of knee osteoarthritis is the pain coming from the same spot. So I get really, really particular, like I mentioned with the connective tissue and uh, other, other influences around the area, muscles, nerves. So, so there's really many potential, like just, just in the knee, dozens, dozens of places that pain could be coming from. And if we don't figure that out, how can we really make a good path to change things? So, so we got to figure that out first. And, uh, and then going from there, nutritional influences, um, every, every one of these, uh, like I mentioned previously, is uh, I'm, I'm pulling in the research really heavily into this book to be able to give everyone the most up-to-date sources on what we should be doing nutritionally, what should and shouldn't be uh, prevalent in our diet, depending on where we are sort of systemically, metabolically, if you will. Um, assessing adequate sources of protein, certain types of fat. Um, I talk about collagen in the book as well. So, so different dietary um, pieces there. And then going into movement, activity, exercise, kind of discussing that within the umbrella of chronic joint pain, what uh, should or shouldn't people be doing? What, what can they do on their own? When, when should they get guidance for this? And uh, a couple of 
photos in the book of myself at home <laughs> during this quarantine time uh, doing the exercises. So yeah. I practice what I preach. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then, so jumping off of that, that's been three, three of the steps and, and going from there into what lifestyle influences are important for uh, recovering from joint pain for regenerating these tissues. And so some of these are really great foundations of naturopathic medicine, like sleep and stress levels, um, uh, connection, um, alcohol and tobacco use. And all of this is also, so yes, yes, it's good, uh, good foundations for anybody, but this is really specific for why does this work with joint pain? Why does this help with joint pain? And, um, and then jumping off of that hormones, like I mentioned, I'm a really big joint pain and hormones connecting doctor. I, I think they're really mm -hmm. important. And, and so I go through all, all of the reasons that's the case. And, um, to just kind of pull out one piece of this, I'm really interested in uh, what female physiology does through the decades. And so from 30s to 40s to 50s to 60s, how do our hormones change? And how does that uh, affect our musculoskeletal system? Uh, because it's not just a, a matter of oh, you're getting older, and so then your joints are are degenerating on you. Like, yes, there is some element of that being a risk factor, but it's really, really interesting to me, at least, uh, what happens to our, let's say, estrogen levels through a perimenopausal, pre-peri, postmenopausal timeframe, and how that actually influences the regeneration of cartilage tissue of spinal disc tissue of, of, of other joints in the body. So, so I, I find that connection really uh, interesting and really important. And then the la the last bits are talking about uh, supplementation. I know there's like a million and one supplements out there that say healthy joints or something like that on it. So really talking about what have the best uh, scientific backing and uh, what what amounts of what types of these ingredients are are we looking at here? Because, um, uh, for example, one of them, uh, turmeric or or the curcumin compound, not all those supplements are made the same. So so I detail really specifically what what to look for and what to look out for in terms of what we can see uh, in in the research. And then the the very last piece is talking about regenerative injection therapies. Um, I use those with my patients. I've had them used on me. They helped my recovery significantly, but it's not a, a standalone, you have joint pain, so go get injections now. And, and people will see that from the book that, that I, I make a very strong case for. You really got to address every, every facet of your health if you're thinking of doing those types of therapies for them to actually work as well as you're hoping. I think that's a really good point and really responsible because, um, you know, some people could be under the illusion that, you know, it's, that's going to fix everything and, and then just make no core changes and be disappointed and have, and also invest a lot of money, you know, for those therapies. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd really love to talk more about regenerative therapies if we can just, sure. uh, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of my patients will be, um, on their way to joint replacement surgery. Um, and, you know, they, they've been told that, you know, a joint replacement will only last certain, like a certain amount of years. And let's say they're in their 
40s or 50s and even older and they they realize well this might mean i need two of them by the time you know i you know i i expect to leave this planet um and they're often looking for alternatives such as regenerative therapies to see if if they can potentially push off a a joint replacement um so i'd like to get your thoughts on that. And then also, um, I'm really interested to know if, um, there's, there's literature or data or your kind of clinical experience of people who have done regenerative therapies and never needed to go into a, like the, the need for a joint replacement just, um, is, is no longer the case. You know, for example, they reverse like a low grade osteoarthritis. Mm-hmm. or a, a maybe a moderate osteoarthritis. Sure, sure. So on the on the first point, uh, yes, I, I think that regenerative injection therapies can be a viable option and that those patients, regardless of their age, really need to get everything else dialed in uh, just, just for their own benefit and, and yeah, financially, but also if they have a specific time frame, like I'm anticipating the surgery to happen in a year or two years, whatever the case may be, then then we have some time and let's see if we can buy us more time and assessing everything else nutritionally, hormonally, lifestyle wise um, really should be the step one as we're evaluating someone's potential candidacy for the injections. Like, is that where their pain is coming from? Should injections even be considered for that specific site? Um, and so, uh, prolotherapy is the one that I use mostly, uh, platelet rich plasma injections is also a pretty common one. And then I mentioned some of the stem cell and, uh, stem cell derived, uh, injections also in the book. And so I would, I would say that, um, yeah, I, the, the research question is an interesting one. I can say that I'm not aware of one where that was the specific end goal is, um, is seeing, like how long or to what point specifically a joint replacement surgery was put off. But I can say that there's been a number of them, both with prolotherapy and PRP, where they're following patients up one and even two years later. And 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 the and their pain reduction that they saw early on after the procedure held held exactly the same that time. It wasn't wearing off. Um, so, so we do know that there's, there's a number of those and I can speak from my own experience that, yeah, if we're, if we have the right diagnosis and this is the right patient for the right injection, we're matching that up well, um, then, I, then we do expect the, the treatments to hold to the degree that their body is honestly just kind of healthy enough and in, and in a right space, um, to, to do that. Like, do they have everything else nutrition and hormonally and, and movement wise, like every, everything else pretty good then, then, then they can, they can kind of hold on to that effect. Yeah. I, I would imagine it's extremely valuable to, to get in and, you know, once you've corrected all the other things that you talk about in your steps um, to get in and um, look at regenerative therapies as early as possible. Is that fair to say, you know, like that, that it's probably not an area that's researched a, a ton, but, you know, just, it makes sense to me that, they would really shine in someone who is, you know, just at the beginning steps of osteoarthritis. Yes. Yeah. And for the most part, a lot of the research is in mild to moderate osteoarthritis, but they, but they see the beneficial effects. Um, at least most the research that I'm aware of 
where whether or not it's mild or moderate, someone is still getting the same degree of improvement and holding on to it. Um, I would love to see some uh, research where they're identifying people who uh, want the injections for a certain region and they have hormonal deficiencies and then treating that uh, treating the deficiency and then using the injections, <laughs> that would be about as close to a, uh, a perfect match of the, of the research model and my clinical model as there is. Uh, but that being said, yes, generally speaking, I would say um, if we're addressing something nutritional or home- hormone deficiency wise that we've found, then, then we may be doing the injections a few weeks or maybe two to three months later. It, it kind of depends on the exact case, but, but in the, in the near future, we're kind of staging, staging the treatment. Okay. And there's a pretty exhaustive um, evaluation or safety kind of approach to this. So can you just talk a little bit about that for those people who are listening and wondering, you know, the, the kind of safety aspects that are considered when going through regenerative therapies? Sure. So there's uh, definitely a list of reasons why someone would just frankly not be a candidate, uh, certain types of uh, medical conditions and medications. Um, I guess a heavy asterisk by by the medications because some uh, someone needs that medication just indefinitely and it's not safe to get off of it. And, it, and because of what that is doing, that medication just breaking down wise in the body. Um, would interact with the with the regenerative injection therapies. Other ones, we have a little bit more flexibility, like maybe they can be off of it for a few weeks and, and get the injection and then go back on. So that's definitely individualized. Um, so so there's definitely that, that safety aspect to it. Um, if it's something like a PRP, the platelet-rich plasma injections, then they have to have a certain certain amounts of, let's just say at least platelets, <laughs> you have to have enough platelets. So mm-hmm. for, for some of these, uh, blood testing is needed. And I think blood testing is really uh, recommended for any of them just to uh, get a basic sense of glucose, of thyroid, if these kind of things have not been run recently. Um, and then, and then there's, there's the whole element of the in-office procedural setup uh, with, with these um, uh, types of procedures, just kind of the, the the cleanliness and sterility of of it. And uh, I was joking with a patient a while ago that now the whole world is sort of like my treatment room setup, <laughs> where everything's getting sanitized and and single use and oh, right, masks right. and gloves and everything else. <laughs> that that now you, uh, you already COVID ready. <laughs> COVID ready before COVID. <laughs> the, 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 my treatment room didn't, did not change except, except now, now more kind of masking of, of myself and, and, and certainly my patients, I guess that's, that's probably the biggest yeah. change. Um, but, but there, there's that whole, that whole element to it as well. Yeah. Well, in, in your, in your book, um, it, is there some resource, like a resource section, um, to, to guide people, like if they're, they're reading your book and kind of looking deeper into, um, you know, these, some of these different topics and they want to read more, do you have resources in there? Uh, yes. And what I did as I was reading, uh, writing my book is I was conflicted (laughs) as to how much extra stuff to put in it versus like take that out and make the the kind of the flow and readability of it a little bit better. So what I did is I pulled all that out into a separate booklet and I called it a toolkit. And so that's part of the book. 
um, that that all all the readers have, um, whether it's ebook or paperback book, everyone gets it, um, and uh, and that that has all the additional resources for. Um, the nutrition piece. So I have meal plans and shopping lists and and recipes and really struggled but made it work in both US and metric <laughs> and uh, an additional reading and um, uh, hormone information like quizzes in their um, provider directories to find naturopathic and injection therapy doctors. Uh, so, so yeah, I kind of pulled all of that out and, and I think it's about 45 pages in all wow. <laughs> of resources. Great. Yeah. And you were so kind to, um, you're going to provide some links, what I'll, which I'll put in, you know, uh, towards the end of the show today, um, for our, for our listeners. So thank you. Sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, I love hearing about is, you know, since you're, you're really a specialist and expert in this area, um, if there was like a moment or a, a teaching or a learning like, or a concept that really just changed how you practice, if there was ever something that you came across and it was like an aha moment, um, do you remember anything like that in your career? I'm sure I've had so many, (laughs) so, so, so many. um, But I would say one that comes to mind in particular is studying and then, um, and then assisting with workshops under, uh, under the naturopathic Dr. Kevin Davison. And he has been doing what I do for, I don't know how many decades (laughs) and, uh, and, and practices in Hawaii and uh, a big part of his approach that I that kind of like just opened up my eyes was just about the kind of the, the feeling and the connection during um, during your work with patients and sort of the the energy of that and kind of tuning into what you feel in a scientific and also more more ethereal realm, more of like marrying our our um, logic and our knowledge and our physical exam findings with the intuition of what you have going on. And it's not to say that that topic never, never came up uh, previously in, in schooling or with other doctors, but, but I, but I think what was really unique was that this was also within the, the regenerative injection therapy realm, which is very sort of hard science and objective. Like, what do you, what, what do you see on physical exam? Do they pass or fail that orthopedic test? What's on the x-ray or the imaging or the ultrasound? And that this was like, yeah, that's all good. And what do you feel? <laughs> what, what do you feel about yeah. this ligament? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, I've seen that modeled t- for me as well. Like uh, a doctor, actually a surgeon that I met modeled that for me. Um, and I, I really agree that's that's so powerful and i learned recently that you know that feel or that sense is actually all your years of experience and kind of reading and teaching and classes all coming together at a moment where you just like integrate it and it's it's kind of like um an intelligence moment where you know your your experience and work has brought you to be able to help with that kind of decision making. So yeah, it's it's really fascinating. Um, well, 
thank you so much for sharing uh, with us today all this great information. Um, is there any take-home messages you want to leave us with, or can you also tell us more about how people can find you or any kind of classes or workshops you're doing? Sure, I'd, I'd love to. So I guess my, my takeaway message is um, if any part of, of my story uh, resonates with your story, I, I just want to impress upon you, like, keep going. Like, if, if you feel frustrated, keep going. If you feel stuck, keep going. Just find find more out there. There, there is more out there to find. And that's what, that's why I wrote my book is I felt like this is, this is something I just wanted to get the message out there that, 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 that there's a whole world uh, be, beyond what we're told is kind of the, the end of our treatment line there. Uh, I am all over the internet and social media. So depending on what your preferred uh, way to access me, my, my website is drcortal.com and that's D-R-C-O-R-T-A-L. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, same handle for all of that. It's my full, uh, Dr. Angela Cortal is, uh, you can, can find me on all of those. Um, up next is continuing a little bit more post book launch recovery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I just, I just launched Monday of, of last week. Uh, so I'm, so I'm taking a little bit of chill time. Um, but, uh, but one of my next, uh, immediate projects is to, to get my book out into audiobook format. I've had a number of requests for that. And I, and I know, um, I know, I know that's a very important piece to continuing to get the, get the book and the message out there. So I'm <laughs> learning what I need to learn for that. And, uh, and, and in the future, we'll just be continuing my, um, my practice in Portland and Salem, Oregon and uh, and developing more online education um, educational videos and programs uh, to to come in the future. Excellent. Well, congratulations on all your accomplishments and the launch of the book. And doing that during a pandemic is is uh, a major accomplishment. Um, so, uh, congratulations, and uh, we look forward to learning more from you down the road. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the One Thing Podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. Forward the the episode to them and i'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them so once again we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the one thing podcast and again much appreciation for you being here with me